0: Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 20. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 20, and I want to just continue on the vein of thought that we had last Sunday and a little bit about what Brittany just shared with us. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and we're going to read verses 17 and 20 and then make a few comments and we'll look at 21 through 22, okay? And let's just pray. Let's just pray for this message. Father, We pray, Lord, we know your word is blessed. We know your word is anointed. So we don't need to ask you for that blessing. But we do pray the Ecclesiastes chapter 5 prayer that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, that we would not enter into your presence with the sacrifice of fools, with an unprepared heart, Lord, that you would speak to us, that no one would leave this room today not having heard from God in their personal life pray this in jesus name we pray amen mark chapter 10 verse 17 three things i want to say this morning number one the unreasonable demand of christ the unreasonable demand of christ number two the one thing he's targeting in our life the one thing that jesus wants in our life and number three the secret to satisfaction the secret to satisfaction what is the secret to satisfaction in a world that just seems to be so insatiable. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was sitting, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think if that happened to us today, that'd be like, whoa, what a great opportunity to lead this guy to Christ, you know? What a great opportunity to share the gospel and you know, maybe he'll come to church next week or something. And then Jesus kind of challenges him. He says, good teacher... He goes. What? He goes. Um, verse eighteen. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And immediately, Jesus is addressing this this man who had so many concepts of who God was, and so many concepts of who he was himself. And so, this rich young ruler described that way in the King James. He's rich. He's young, and he's got some. He's he's got some authority in his life. The three things that people really seek after in this world today, right? Riches, youth, and rulership. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He challenges his concept of what this young man thinks is good in his life. I think we have these concepts in our life of what is good and what is great in our life. Jesus, Jesus challenges this. And he says in verse 19... And Jesus is answering his question here, what he must do to have eternal life. And he says in verse 19, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, the rich young ruler says back to him in verse 20, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I've kept all of these from my youth. And I want to look at verse Verse twenty-one in a second, but three things here about this guy. He was he was very he was very calculative. He was very conditional, and he was very selective in the way he was living. And we see later on in the scripture here that this rich young ruler was really worried about controlling his assets and not losing those things that were important to him that he felt were the center of his heart. Jesus here and he says here in a verse let's read verse 21 and Jesus said to him Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him you lack one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me wow now I mean we as a new testament believer read that and we're thinking oh that's a little unreasonable Jesus is not asking that for us today is it we're thinking nah That was for this guy here because this guy was loving his stuff too much. And, you know, this guy was too selfish. And I'm not selfish. And that's not really applicable to me today. And so, what is so interesting is that this rich young ruler comes to Jesus with this concept that Jesus is a religious man and that he's good. He's a good man. And this young man, it says that he was disheartened and he walks away. You know, we see that this young man—he underst- was understanding what Jesus was saying—is that Jesus wants me to give away all my stuff. <clears throat> There's a time of year here called Lent, and people usually ask the same question. They ask each other the same question: "What are you going to give up for Lent?" Right? Have you ever heard that question here? "What are you going to give up?" What are you going to—I mean—that's people's concept of Christianity. What are you going to give up for God? Or what does God want me to give up, right? What does God want me to give up? And so here, like, I just want to say here that Jesus, and we're going to see this in a second, that if if we gave away all of our stuff and we gave up everything, it would not be enough. It just would not be enough. If you gave your car away, if you gave your house away, if you gave all your money away, if you gave everything away, it would still not be enough because you would still lack that one thing. You'd lack that one thing. You'd lack the one thing. And what is that one thing? Well, I think it's easier to give stuff up than to give away that one thing that Jesus wants. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7, says this. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. He'd be mocked. He'd be like, no, are you kidding me? It's like somebody coming with... Maybe somebody owns five pennies in their life. That's all that they have, and they want to come and they want to buy a Lamborghini. You go to the dealership. You go to Land Rover. You go to uh, Michael Rousseau's Land Rover dealership, and you got I got five pennies. I want to buy a Defender Land Rover. Michael would not laugh at you. Right. <laughs> I think that they. I think that that would be treated so like. Are you kidding me? And that's the way it is with the love of God is that if we offered all of our stuff, it would never be enough. Jesus is not asking for this guy's, all of this guy's stuff. We need to read carefully what Jesus says here. The one thing that Jesus wants, and that's the first thing I want to say, first of all, is that what Jesus Christ is asking from us is so unreasonably, impossibly impossible. It's a demand that we could never fulfill in our flesh. You and I cannot give up enough stuff to make God happy. So let's stop asking God, what do you want me to give up for you? What sin do you want me to stop sinning? What thing do you want me to do? What what mission field or what work do you want me to be doing so that I can feel better about myself? We're Americans. We are always trying to, we have this self-image gospel, don't we? Oh, you got to feel better about yourself. All your problems are based on the fact that you don't feel good about yourself. So you need to go out, get rid of your husband, go get some new clothes, get a new house, and just reinvent yourself. And then you're going to feel good about yourself. And then, and then wives here don't get any don't get any uh, good don't get any ideas here over here about getting rid of your husband. But it's never that's never be that's never going to be enough. Why? Because changing our circumstances doesn't change our heart. The problem is, and the issue is, the heart. And this is the one thing. So let's just get that straight. Number one, there's not anything enough in our life that we could give to God. And by the way, give. Give as God leads you. I'm not telling you to don't give. I'm just saying there's not enough stuff that we could give away that we could make God feel like. You know what? Now I feel better. I feel better. I I, I, I'm, I'm, I am appeased now because you've given. That never happens that way. The one thing that Jesus wants, Jesus is not demanding you surrender our rights in the areas that we think is selfish. Because for every layer of selfishness that we are aware of, there's probably miles of selfishness that we're not even aware of. You know what I'm saying? Brittany was just saying, like, you know, I was in Bible school and just God's dealing with me deeply. You know, that's all of us. Like, there's layers and layers and layers of self defense mechanisms, and you peel one away and there's another one, and God's just peeling until the day we die. He's peeling down to get to the bottom so he can love that. Of us, that's inside of us. The one thing that Jesus is not demanding is he's asked, he's not demanding for our stuff. He wants one thing. Let's 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 look at Proverbs twenty-three verse twenty-six. Just I, I, I'm glad you guys brought your Bibles. Um, if you're taking notes, this is the second point I'm saying here. The one thing that he wants, Proverbs twenty-three verse twenty-six. What does it say there? If you got it, just read it out. Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Love that. That was a promise to me as a teenager. That if I give God my heart, I'm going to see God work in my life. Right? It's not me doing something for God. It's not me trying hard or God, I'm going to give all this stuff up for you. Because I think that sometimes we can feel actually kind of guilty about stuff that we have because we have a poor self-image and we think, I don't deserve this. Of course we don't deserve our marriage and our family and our life and what we have and our health. We don't deserve that. It's a gift of grace in our life. We think that if we give it all up, God is just asking for one thing, your heart. He is asking for your heart. I'm going to talk about that, what looks like that What that looks like in a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, what does that say? It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart in all your soul and with all your energy and might. Romans 13, verse 9 and Galatians 5, verse 14, it says this, that love fulfills the whole law. What we're saying is that your Christianity and my Christianity, biblically, is not me giving up stuff for God. It It is understanding the first love of God and understanding what the love of God is for us. Let's back up a little bit here for a second. Remember the list. And whenever there's a list in the scripture, I'm always, you know, I'm always, I'm, I am always aware, like when I see a list, I'm thinking, okay, this is important. We learned the 10 commandments in, in, in Sunday school, right? If you look at the list of the commandments here that the, that Jesus recites to, to the rich young ruler, what commandments are missing? There's six commandments here. Yeah, that's right. This, this, this commandment, you shall have no idols before me, right? Help me out here. Uh, you shall have no idols before me. You shall, take the Lord's name you, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. Uh, uh, you shall not take my name in vain. And then you, um, you, shall, um, you shall honor the Sabbath. You shall not work on the Sabbath. These four principles right here are all about what Jesus is talking about here. The rich young ruler was doing all the other ones. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't murder. I didn't steal anybody's wife. I didn't do. I didn't steal. I didn't defraud or covet or anything like that. But the first four, Jesus said. He did, Jesus is. Jesus is so kind to this man. He says, "You know what? He didn't even say you missed the four first four. Good buddy, he just said one thing you lack. Can I tell you something? This is where I think Christians are at. We're in the woodlands, man. I'm not from Texas. Uh, you guys know that." But I'm still, I'm still amazed at the religious culture here. And I can't tell you, and I know you guys have done it too, we meet Christians every day where they've got it all. They've got the car, they've got the house, got the, they go to church on Sunday. But there's that one thing they're lacking. They're lacking something because they're chasing it. And they're chasing the happiness. They're chasing the weekends. They're chasing the vacations. They're, they're chasing this. They're chasing that because there's one thing that they, that they lack. And this can happen to us, and it's because our heart is our heart is in the wrong place. Our heart has not been surrendered to God, and I want to talk about what that looks like here in a minute. Jesus says, "You go sell everything you got, Gift, give it to the poor." And he, didn't sell, he didn't say sell; just give it all away to the poor. Then you're going to have treasures in heaven. And then what does he say? Jesus says, "What? Follow me." It's very important that we look at that here in a second. What happens to rich young ruler turns away, and, and he's grieved. And there's two there's two rea- there's two natural reactions to the demand of Christ. Number one, offense. You know, we can say, you know what, you're asking too much. Guess what? We're talking. Jesus is asking for the impossible. And 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 it, the the reaction can be, okay, I'm offended. This is too much. Like God wants too much from me i remember we were in poland and i was sharing the gospel on the street with someone talked to a a a young lady and i was telling her about the love of christ and the love of god how jealous it was and how and she interrupted and she goes you know what and she was catholic she was very angry she said the love of god has taken everything from me and has left me with nothing and before i could even finish that conversation she walked away if she had just listened what God had for her. Remember the woman at the well in John 4, Jesus said, if you knew who was talking to you and what I have for you, right? Jesus here, it's so important to see what Jesus He and I'm getting ahead of myself, but the offense that sometimes we can have, like God, this church, like the cross, it's just too much, and I'm so offended. Guess what? Whenever you and I are offended in our flesh, guess what it is? It's because we are trying to give God something that's not enough. And God says, it's not enough. (laughs) Remember the, the, the offering of Cain? Cain brings the offering. He's working all day. He's like got this whole bouquet basket for God. And what happens? God says, it's not enough. Rejected. Stamped. Wow, it's like, what? God, I really did my best. Yeah, it's your best, and your best is not enough. And guess what? I love that. You know why? Because Like, we heard it last night, great message last night from from Robert. Like, we realize our broken, depraved condition, right? Just that realization, that recognition. And that that moment of recognition is not condemnation, and we're not feeling bad. At The next moment really is when we, uh, what was it? It Respond to, we respond to the plan of God by faith, and then we receive something from God, and then we just release it. And, you know, that is the freedom of Christianity is that? Is that we don't need to live in offense because, you know, something, I'll get offended when I'm in my flesh and, and he walks away disheartened by the unreasonable demand of Jesus. Here's the, second, the second reaction, I think, to the demand of Jesus is fear. It's this. And guess what? You and I, have we've said this before. If I surrender all, where is this going to take me? Where is this going to take me? I'm single, I'm not married. What if I go in the mission field? I'm never going to get married. Or if I follow God where he's leading me, where is that going to take me? We're afraid to lose our assets. What's our asset? Time. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my youth. I'm, gonna, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my money that I worked so many years for. I'm afraid I'm going to lose this. I'm going to Guess what? We're going to lose it anyway, guys. We're going to lose it anyway. We might as well lose it for the cause of the eternal purpose, the gospel of Jesus Christ if I surrender all, where will it take me? Guess where it's going to take me? To a place of great joy and great peace and excitement that we never would have ever imagined that ever God would have ever taken us. Stop trying to live our own lives and don't live in offense and don't live in fear. Just say, okay, okay. I love, let's back up a little bit. Mark chapter 10. I want to look at something that we went over really quickly on, on purpose, but it says here in verse 20, and he said to him, Sorry, verse twenty-one. Jesus looking at him loved him. Jesus looking at him loved him. One of my favorite verses here. I love this. This speaks volumes to me. Do you know why? Get this. This is the main point of the message here: is that Jesus is the beginning of the commandment, and Jesus is the end of the commandment. Whatever Jesus asks from the the rich from rich young ruler, he is himself. Yeah. Okay. Sell all you got. You know, you'll have riches in heaven and follow me. That's the beginning of the commandment. Jesus loved him. I think it's going to, I think for us, for some of us in this room, for me, for me for sure, is that majority of our life is just trying to understand that when God looks at me, he loves me. It's not condemnation. It's not fallen expectation. It's not you're a bad person. It's not. The voice of your dad that's no longer alive saying, you disappointed me, son. Or a a voice of your mother who who says, you're never going to be a beautiful, successful woman. That is not the voice of God. Jesus looks at you and he loves you. We don't don't get it because we're creatures that are so riddled with guilt and shame and fear that we need an entire lifetime. You know, somebody said, why doesn't God just take us home the moment we are saved? Because you know it's going to take our entire lifetime to understand how Jesus looks at us and He loves us. Just want to, just want I just want you and I to understand that when God looks at us, He looks at us with compassion and not fear and judgment and disappointment and I'm angry at you and you failed me. Of course we did. Of course we failed you because you set up a law that was so impossible to fulfill so that you could shed your love on us. He on purpose gave us Ten Commandments that were impossible to fulfill. Even on the mental level. I mean, we can outwardly like not kill anybody, not steal anybody's spouse, but on the inside, man, we break the Ten Commandments every day. And Jesus set it up that way. God set it up that way so that we could be... In Romans chapter 11, it says that He has concluded the whole world in unbelief so that... Purpose clause. So that He might what? Have mercy and compassion and love on all so let's stop trying to think what i can give up for god let's stop trying to think what can i stop doing and start doing to make god happier for me because there's only one thing that god wants from us and that is our heart and what does that look like well jesus says before he asks the rich young ruler for it all he looks at him and he loves him if there's something that's not happening in your christianity maybe you're not patient Maybe you're struggling with sin. Maybe this is going on in your life, but you got this conflict. Or maybe you don't feel like you're doing enough for God. Or maybe somebody else is not doing enough for God. Or whatever. Just learn to look and learn the love. And learn the love of Christ. And this is what we call first love. This is what we call first love. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says, you got to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. I used to read that as a kid, and I just thought, man, this is so impossible. This is like... I'm gonna to have to live on some degrees of okay, I'm here, okay now I'm down here and I'll be, I'm never gonna be here meeting that And my Christianity was just like, okay, I'm doing my best to get up here and then somebody asks you for it all and you're like, look, I'm doing my best I can just just leave me alone And that is because we can't love God. The law tells us you can't love God and I, I you know at, the longer I walk with God, the more I'm learning in my life, that there is nothing, truly nothing, 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 nothing in my flesh that can do any ounce one ounce for God. So let's not even, let's not even try. Let's just rest. Commandment number four, rest in the Sabbath, love of God. And what is that? The work is finished. Jesus is the beginning. Be- before Jesus calls anybody into anything in their life, he's looking at you and loving you. That's Bible college. Just sitting in a room, just letting God look at you and love you and letting the words of grace just permeate into your soul. If I think, and I'm the, kind, I'm the working kind of, a, I come from a family that's very ambitious, high achieving, and, and all the wrong scorecards. And if I think, if I feel bad about myself and I try to do something more for God, it's dead works. It's just, there's no, resurre- there's no resurrection power in it. Because Jesus is the beginning of the commandment before you try to judge yourself with all the commandments before you try to judge yourself with all the things that you think you got to be doing for God better just let God look at you and let God love you just let God love you and what does that look like it looks like this Jesus is saying you know what I love you and I'm doing it all I'm giving it all for you that Jesus is inside of us he is inside of us he is in us and that and you know whenever the and I said this to the teenagers this week uh, on the zoom call to ukraine the word of god is never addressing your flesh it's never addressing your flesh it's not asking your flesh to do anything when you hear something love your love one another as i christ has loved you it's like oh man me trying to lay down my flesh for somebody else that just doesn't work the command the word of god is addressing christ in us and we say i hear it yes i agree with it and i present myself a living sacrifice. I just say yes God, I agree with that. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know Christ in me wants to do that and he will do it and I'm agreeing with the power of God in me that he's going to do it. Are you following me? Yeah, um, no, good. I just think that sometimes you know, this is why this is why people in ministry burn out. It's because and this is why I would burn out because I've tried to do it in the energy of my flesh and it would be and it, I'd be like 20 years in the ministry like God, look at I've done everything for you. What does it say in the book of Luke? That in the end, we're all just unprofitable servants. It's like, what? Where's my trophy? Where's my my certificate of appreciation from God? You know what it is? It's Christ in me. Christ is saying, you know what? Let me do this. Yoke up with me. Um, Christ is not only the beginning, but He's the end of the commandment. Christ is beginning. He says, you know what? I'm giving everything. I'm giving it all. And rich young ruler, woman at the well, and others—if you could understand who I am and what I have to give to you, all of your stuff would be what would be the same with what Paul said. It's all but dung. It's just all sewage. It's just yucky. It's gross. I don't even want that. I want to win Christ. Paul said, "I want to win Christ." And when when we and when we let when we let God love us, guess what happens? He wins our heart. He wins our heart. And then we look at the other stuff. We're like, you know, I'm really thankful for what we have. I'm thankful for my house, my car, my family, all of that. But you know something? God's got my heart. And if God wants to turn my heart in a certain direction to bless someone, or bless, it's fine with me because I don't hold on to anything really tightly because it could be gone tomorrow, you know? We learned that with COVID. There's so many things that we've lost because of COVID. And if we were holding on to things not so tightly, understanding that, god could remove it or bless me with more if that's the case then i have joy in my heart i've joy in my heart and i have peace in my heart jesus is both ends of the commandment he looks at him he loves him his first love and then he says what does he say at the end of the commandment he says just get rid of all that and just follow me follow me let me be the center of your life let me be the center of your worship let me you know we've been talking this week about the greatness. And the preeminence of Christ. And if we could just see that and just look at Christ at the throne, at the at the heavenly throne, and just worship him. And as a pastor, I'm not not even worried. Maybe I should be, but I'm not worried about a lot of things that I could be worried about. Because this is God's ministry. I didn't die for this church. You know, I wasn't crucified for this church. This is God's church. And he can do what he wants to do with it. Jesus is the end. And he says, You know something? When we get Christ occupied. When we get a when we when we are uh, uh, occupied with Christ, we're not afraid to lose those assets in our life that we can't seem to let go. Our youth, our time, our singlehood, our status, or whatever it is that we have, we can just say, you know, something. God has something better. I want to finish with this. The third thing is ultimate satisfaction. You know what the ultimate satisfaction is? It's surrender. It's just surrendering to God. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, said, the secret discontentment can be traced to the lack of surrender. You know, we're always going to experience discontentment when we do not allow God to take and when we give God our heart. The reason why so many are still troubled, A.W. Tozer says, still seeking and still making little forward progress is because we haven't yet come to the end of ourselves. We're still trying to give the orders and interfering with God's work within us. William Booth, who who started the Salvation Army, Army, said this, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. So what does surrender look like? And I want to close with this. What does surrender look like? What does it mean to give God my heart? Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-six. What does that look like practically on a daily basis? Well, Elizabeth Elliot, John Elliot's wife, said this. She said... One does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered on a daily basis. Our surrender is a daily thing where every morning my day begins like this. Lord, I'm a living sacrifice. I present myself to you. I'm holy, clean, lovely. You rejoice in me. I'm beautiful. I'm not... You know, Maybe you were victimized and you feel bad about your body. Let me tell you, that's holy and it's, sacrifice, it's sacred and it's a beautiful sacrifice to the Lord. And when you present that to the Lord, guess what happens? On a daily basis, you're just saying, God, you're the God of my heart today. You're the God of my emotions. You're the God of my affections. And I trust you for that. And when we do that, such beautiful satisfaction comes in to our life. And so the cross doesn't empower our flesh to war the good war of faith. The cross decimates all of our fleshly ability to be godlike. The cross crushes our enemy and shouts to us, surrender and be free. I'm going to close with that. Let's just bow our heads for a minute. And... um,